And John Owen wrote on this passage, he said, this is a chapter full of good gospel riches. And that's what we're going to see. This is a chapter full of good gospel riches. Uh, Ian Duguid, whose commentary on this chapter is excellent, I've, I've relied on quite heavily this evening, says that the main theme of this chapter is the grace of God. Uh, grace, we know, is getting the opposite of what we deserve. Receiving the exact opposite of what we deserve. So as Christians, uh, what do we deserve? Well, we know before a holy God we deserve his judgment we deserve his wrath but in christ what do we deceive his mercy forgiveness the gift of eternal life christ's righteousness imputed to our account we get the opposite of what we deserve that's god's grace undeserved love as we look at this chapter tonight we're going to look at it under two headings and two sections We're going to look in the first eight verses, really, uh, under the heading, The Cities of Grace for the Undeserving. And then we're going to think about the cities of refuge for the guilty. The cities of grace for the undeserving and the cities of refuge for the guilty. You remember uh, last week when we were looking at chapters 33 and 34 that we we heard God tell uh, Moses that, Here's the boundaries of the, inher- of the promised land, of your inheritance. And we know that they're going, it's going to be portioned among all the tribes, with one exception, the Levites. But we open chapter 35, and God does have a provision for the Levites. Let's read chapter 35. The Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, so they're right there ready to go in saying, command the people of Israel to give to the Levites some of the inheritance of their possession as cities for them to dwell in. And you shall give to the Levites pasture lands round the cities. The cities shall be theirs to dwell in, and their pasture land shall be for their cattle and for their livestock and for all their beasts. Now you need to know that in God's part, this is an act of grace. They didn't deserve this. In fact, God himself had said to them very clearly in Numbers chapter 18, you the Levites, it will be a perpetual statute throughout the generations that among the people you will have no inheritance. You'll have no possession in the land. Because God was their possession. God was their inheritance. And yet we come to this opening section and God gives Moses instructions and says, no, no, there is going to be a provision for the Levites. In fact, we know from verse 48 that they were going to be given 48 cities in total. 48 cities scattered throughout the promised land. This tribe, who were not to get anything because God was their inheritance, were to get 48 different cities. The larger tribes would give them larger bits and the smaller tribes smaller parts. Now, you might think it's strange that I call this an act of grace. This is an act of grace. Because do you remember Levi? Do you remember the story of Levi? He had a sister, Dinah. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 34. And she was raped by Shechem. And Simeon and Levi, her two brothers, avenged for that rape. 
Remember, they deceived the Shechemites and told them all to get circumcised. And then when they were at their most vulnerable, they went in and they slaughtered them all. And remember how Genesis ends. It ends with Jacob on his deathbed. And he blesses all of his sons, apart from Simeon and Levi. He says to Simeon and Levi, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they humstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. And we know that Jacob's curse was effective. In fact, the Simeonites, we know from Joshua, they were scattered so much so that they, in many ways, the only portion of land they had in um, Canaan was within the tribe of Judah. And the Levites, well, here they're scattered among God's people, 48 different cities in the promised land. The Levites did not deserve to receive anything from God's hand. And isn't it amazing that God used the descendants of this man who was cursed and he totally transformed their purpose. He showed them grace and then said they were the people who were going to be the holy witnesses, who were going to be responsible for the holy things of God, the tabernacle and the sacrifices. They were going to be those who provide pastoral care. We know that from the book of Leviticus. They were going to be those who instructed in the word of God. They were going to be those who took care of the poor. You know, the reason why the parable of the Good Samaritan is so shocking is because the Levites were responsible for care for the poor. And when that man is lying in his blood, they walk on by. God, in his great mercy, shows them grace that they do not deserve. They deserve death. They deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. But God redeems them and uses them as instruments in his own hands. In fact, it's so beautiful in the economy of God, he takes them and his purpose is to scatter them throughout the promised land as a reminder to all the people that they are to be holy. As a reminder to all the people as well that even though they have an inheritance in the land, they're not to hold on to this material land because their ultimate inheritance is God, just like the Levites. I just love God's ways and God's purposes. He takes the cursed and he blesses them. He takes sinners and he lavishes them with his grace and mercy. In church tonight, there's a huge, huge application staring us in the face in that. You see, we all sinned in Adam. We all live in this cursed world because of Adam's sin and we sinned in Adam. We all deserve the curse of eternal death. And yet, God acted in grace. He expelled Adam from his near presence, but he enabled him to go on living in this now cursed creation. 
And interestingly, Adam's existence and all of his descendants' existence, us included, is not the worst existence. In fact, just think about your life. We get to live in God's beautiful creation, though marred by sin, and we get to behold and enjoy many good and glorious things. And we call that grace. The sun sets and it shines on both the wicked and the godly. And it rains on both the wicked and the godly. But not only that, you and I here tonight who are Christians, we've not just experienced common grace, we've experienced saving grace. God's uncommon grace. In Christ where we've been saved and given a new identity and given a righteousness and given a purpose and given eternal life and the most glorious inheritance. Even though we deserve death and punishment. And so as we begin this section, what we see is that God is a God of amazing grace. He gives the Levites these cities within the land, even though they don't deserve it. And his greater purpose is that he wants his, these people, the Levites, to be both a witness to his holiness And as we're going to see, he wants them to provide places where people can come and know the grace of God. And that leads us to our second point, the cities of refuge for the guilty. So we've looked at the cities of grace for the undeserving, now the cities of refuge for the guilty. So 48 cities they were to receive. Now, if you're someone who's into biblical numerology, which I am not, anytime I read it in the commentary, I'm like, oh, what is this? It is fascinating to note that um, 4 times 12 is 48. So God was spreading them throughout the 12 tribes, if you like, their inheritance um, perfectly is, is one thing that they suggest. But then they say minus 6. 6 of the 48 cities were to be these cities called cities of refuge. If you've got your Bible, just look down at verse 6 for a minute. The cities that you give to the Levites shall be the six cities of refuge where you shall permit the manslayer to flee. In addition to them, you shall give them 42 cities. And there's a lot here that just comes out of the middle of nowhere. The manslayer. Well, that's a person who kills someone without any tent. If you like, a person who killed someone accidentally. Manslaughter. They are able to flee to one of these six cities. These are to be sanctuaries for people who are responsible for manslaughter. Now, look at verse 11 and 12. And you shall select, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer, manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there, The cities shall be for you a refuge from the avenger. The manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Now that word avenger, I need to unpack. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word avenger. I'm not speaking about a Marvel character. In ancient world, there was no police force. In fact, in those days, the family unit was the primary means of enacting justice. And within the family unit, there would be 
the kinsman redeemer. The same word for kinsman redeemer, goel in Hebrew, is the same word that's used here for avenger. There would be a family member who was responsible to take care of the family. Now, we know from the book of Ruth that that could look like um, buying land. It could look like taking on the responsibility of a widow. And it it would also look the responsibility of settling the score with someone who's taken the life of someone from your family. Now, I do need to be clear that when we read this term, Avenger, don't think mafia enforcer. Think family member who's responsible for taking care of the family. Think Boaz, a godly, generous, thoughtful man who took God's word really seriously and his family interests seriously at whatever personal cost. Now, the reason there was to be the vengeance for blood is because God made clear from the very beginning that if blood is spilled, blood would have to be shed. So remember Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. We see from the beginning of the Bible that God has placed supreme value in human life, in humanity, because humanity is made in the image of God. Hence the reason that the death of a human is such a heinous thing. In fact, if you look down at verse 3, the reason it's so heinous, especially in this context, is because you shall not pull out the land in which you live, for the blood pollutes the land and no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it so the shedding of blood has serious implications and the implication is it means that god's people would be unclean and so catastrophic that yahweh god himself could not and would not dwell in their midst God in his wisdom set up these cities of refuge so that the person who was responsible, by the way, not for murder yet, for manslaughter, accidental or uh, death, could flee there first so that the avenger didn't get to them first and take their life so that they could stand trial before the congregation of Israel. And this trial was not like the one in the film Just Mercy where someone could be put to death on the basis of one witness. We know from what it says that you needed at least two witness, witnesses to corroborate. Now, if you look at verse 13 and 14, you'll see that these six cities of refuge were to be spread out. So, verse 13, And the cities that you shall give... It shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities in the land of Canaan to be cities of res- refuge. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner among them that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. Two points on this. This is how gracious and wise God is. God says, I'm setting this up. 
And you need to know that I'm setting up such a way that they will, these cities of refuge will be easily accessible for you. There'll be one with a near reach. So that the one who's responsible for manslaughter, their life can be preserved until there's been a fair trial. And he says, this isn't just for the people of God. This is for the sojourner. This is for the, the good of the nations. Anyone who comes into Israel, they can make use of these sanctuaries of safety. So I need you to see, right, if this is teaching us anything about our God, it is that he is so gracious and so generous, not just to his own people, but to the nations of the earth. And that's because salvation's ultimate purpose is for the nations of the earth. God takes death really seriously, but God is also a God who shows grace to the guilty. Now, there are guidelines, and this is perhaps the heavy section that we read from, but I want us to just go through the guidelines and make sure what was the guidance that God put in place. So look at verse 16 to 21. Here's the guidance with regards to premeditated murder. If he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Struck down with a stone tool, same deal. Struck down with a wooden tool, same deal. Verse 19, the avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. If he pushed him out of hatred, hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, in empty, struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death. So regardless of the object, the, to kill the victim, the accused is to receive the, pen, the death penalty. And it is to come from the hand of the avenger. Remember, someone can only be put to death by the avenger, according to verse 30, if there has been the testimony of two or more witnesses. God is a God of grace and God is a God of justice. And he, he is just in all his ways. And so there's no sham trial. There's no fix. There's stitch up. God says here for his people, as you prepare to live in the land, here is how we're setting things up. And then the second thing, in verse 22 to 24, he sets out guidelines if the death was accidental or came about because of care. So uh, look with me to verse 22. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him, without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger in accordance with these rules. Now, in, in the case of a murderer, right, it's pretty straightforward. A life for a life. In the case of someone who's responsible for manslaughter, the principle, a life for a life, still stands. See, God doesn't just forgive and have mercy without showing his justice. And the justice that God shows, we learn in this section, is 
the high priest's death. So look at verse 25. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to his city of refuge to which he had fled, and he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was anointed with oil. And what we see here is a great picture of the gospel. There is a substitution. There is this principle of God's justice been made out. Someone is responsible for the death of another. Death will take place. When the high priest dies, God accepts that as a substitution in the place of the manslayer. And all of this, of course, is pointing us, isn't it? Like the whole of Numbers has been doing so, pointing us to Jesus, the great high priest, who died in the place of us, his own people, who bore the penalty and punishment that we deserve. Now, God does make it really clear in verses 26 to 28 that if the manslayer who's in the city does not wait for the high priest to die and he seeks to leave the city before the death of the high priest, if the avenger finds him outside of the city of refuge, he can put him to death. Because he's not kept to God's law and God's ways. Fourthly, it's made very clear in verses 31 and 32, no one can pay for a ransom. You murder someone, you commit manslaughter, you cannot get out of it just by paying a bribe or giving a ransom. No, there is an equality before God. The wages of sin is death. And in God's economy, for those who have committed death by murder, they shall die. And for those who are guilty of manslaughter, they can live in the city of refuge until the high priest dies. That's the process. And one of the things we see is that God is so committed to justice. We have a generous, gracious, good God. And we have a just God. And seeing this world that we live in today, a world where our judicial systems often get it wrong. There's a case right now in Scotland. A poor lady was killed. And because of so many mess-ups, whether it was by the, the courts of justice and lawyers, the, 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 the wrongdoer was not, not brought to justice until now. And so the family are calling for an appeal out of a whole investigation into the, the way things went about. We see this time and time again, the post office scandal, whatever it is. But listen, one of the things we see very clearly in the Bible is our God is a God of justice and he is a God of grace. And I want you to see in this particular year where God is so committed to justice, human life. Take someone made in the image of God and the principle stands life for a life and the avenger is to kill them you know in, the, in this passage yes we're pointed to Jesus through the high priest but we're also pointed to Jesus through the avenger because Jesus is our kingsman redeemer. 
And you know, all of us here who have ever read the Sermon on the Mount, we've heard Jesus say, you know, you know it was said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, if you've looked at a man or woman with hate in your heart, you are guilty of murder. And, and according to that standard of justice, you and I should have him come and act judgment and kill us and make us pay for the penalty and the punishment that our sin deserves. But the amazing thing in the gospel is that the avenger is our kinsman redeemer. He dies in our place the judge, so that we don't face his judgment of death. He redeems us by his precious blood so that we can be set free from the judgment we deserve. And the last thing to say that points us to Jesus Christ are these cities of refuge. We've been singing about it all night. God is our refuge. The refuge for those who are going through times of trouble. Psalm 7, God's our refuge for those who are guilty. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. God is our amazing refuge and Jesus Christ is the one to whom we flee. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson commenting in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 which says this, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. Sinclair says, Jesus provides us with a city of refuge from which he can hide us from the consequences of our past actions. He is the city of refuge in whom we can take shelter. Now, as I wrap this up, I need you not to miss something that is stunning. The Levites. If their forefather, Levi, had been held to this standard, what would have happened? Dead. And so these Levites would not have existed. God acted in grace. But get this. Every single time that the Levites who inhabited the cities of refuge adjudicated in a case where someone was going down for murder they would be reminded, but for the grace of God, go we. And it's incredible that as they would be haunted by their forefather past sin, and no doubt their own sins, that they were always being reminded that they were the ones who were to apply grace to the guilty. And here's the application for us. This is why it's so important that you see this. Because church, as we think of the judgment day that is to come, where people will stand before God 
and God will avenge. God will hold people to his standard and they will face eternal death. As we think of that great day that lies ahead and we know that those of us who are in Christ Jesus will be safe, it means that in the here and now, we know that but for the grace of God go we. And so we should show incredible grace and incredible love to those who don't deserve it. So that those who don't deserve it might be pointed to the God in whom we trust in. The city of refuge actually remind us who have made Christ our refuge to make our church a sanctuary of safety for the sinner. People should come into this church among us as people and they should see that we are those who know that we've fallen short, broken God's commandments, received his grace, and because of it, you and I just want to show grace upon grace to others. And so one of the great applications of this text is those of us who have fled to Jesus as our high priest, as our kinsman redeemer, as our city of refuge. How are we who should deserve punishment for our sins, but have instead received freedom and salvation? How are we showing grace to the guilty? How are we as a church a sanctuary of safety for the sinner. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for how you show yourself in every text of Scripture and you show us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you show us the gospel. We thank you for the good gospel riches that have been set before us this evening. And we pray that as we live our lives trusting in our great high priest Jesus Christ, in our kinsmen, our, our ultimate refuge, that we ourselves would become a place of refuge, that others might come to know you and love you. And it's in Christ's name we pray this. Amen.